1: From the abraham lincoln radio studio at the george washington broadcast center jack armstrong and joe getty the armstrong and getty show a revolution must never be scared to kill a revolution demands that at some point there must be killing because the killing is part of a revolutionary act
0: Uh, Who's cheering that and who's saying that?
3: That is Julius Malema, who is the head, the controversial firebrand head of South Africa's third largest political party that may indeed be forming a coalition to run the government. Uh, Mr. Malema got a little more specific about killing and who might be killed. One on one, Michael.
4: I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm saying to you, we've not called for the killing of white people, at
0: least for now. I can't yes. guarantee the future. Yeah, but, I mean, you'd understand somebody watching that, especially as it gets shared on Twitter, they freak uh, out. It sounds like a genocidal uh, 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 cry babies. Cry babies. I'm not calling for the slaughter of white people, at least for now. The, uh, 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 I can't give you a guarantee of the future, especially when things are going the way they are. Subtext. I especially think if things are going the way they are, there
3: will be a revolution in this country, I can tell you now. So he is saying, look, I can't rule out slaughtering white people. Based on their skin color. Right, exactly. Yeah, those of you who are really hot to trot for racial politics, it's funny. They, they decry South Africa as an apartheid regime right, and an right. evil regime and the rest of it during the apartheid days. Uh, but then are fully in favor of race-based politics. How interesting. So I don't want to get hung up on Julius Malema and his party, uh, which, again, is a significant party. It's the third largest one. But uh, just openly saying we may have to call for the slaughter white people, and we're, we're reserving that right. This is in a modern country, semi-modern. Closer to home, you've got uh, this has gotten some attention online. One of your uh, Robin D'Angelo Ibram X. Kendi type lecturers in intersectionality, uh, critical race theory, Dante King is his name. He recently gave a uh, lecture at the University of San Francisco, a place where, for instance, Ben Shapiro or Riley Gaines couldn't possibly speak. And uh, among other things, he said this We'll start with uh, 105, Michael.
4: Whites are psychopaths and their behavior represents an underlying biologically transmitted proclivity with roots deep in their evolutionary history how can how many of you could see the proclivity that evolved deep within the evolutionary history of whiteness by show of hands how many of you could see it some people are sitting here oh no i don't want to raise my hand that's called
3: denial oh Oh my Whites god! Whites are psychopaths. It is uh, transmitted to them through their DNA because of long evolutionary, uh, you know, disease. That's
0: Some people don't want to agree. Well, that's called denial. Right.
4: Hit, hit us with the next one, Michael. There's no discussion about the delusion and the perversion of whiteness. Say this with me: Rape culture in America is a legal economic and moral institution. So we're going to we have it written in the law, you can rape black women, but we've never been a racist country. This goes beyond gaslighting and it's rooted in psychological delusion.
0: Does he mean now? Yeah. It's yeah, written in the law, you to. can rape black women? Where's is, where is that happening?
3: Yeah, I'm sure he cites some sort of non-revoked 1808 law in mississippi or something i don't know what he's talking about but one more michael uh, 107
4: and i'm not seeking agreement from white people at all i don't prioritize whiteness or white people in my work in that way so turn to your neighbor and say as much as we want to talk about how bad anti-blackness is it is the foundation of all American, all white American institutions.
0: I assume your point is that this sort of talk being allowed in the United States leads to the sort of thing you're having in South Africa.
3: Yeah, I mean, you can't disallow it because of the First Amendment. I think it's outrageous that it is being taught on a large scale in universities and schools and uh, corporate uh, boardrooms as well.
0: I mean, allowed culturally. It doesn't get mm-hmm. shouted down or de uh, uh, deplatformed in any way.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really ugly. This guy's a, a sick, sick man, and he and his... his Crowd have at least for now gotten not only a free pass, but they're being paid thousands of dollars to do this. Uh, note how he had the students repeat after him, you know, reciting his incantations and stuff. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. It is crazy. Uh, a couple of couple of things on that score. Uh, do you know who Coleman Hughes is? He's a he's a, a young youngish black man. What is he? He's early thirties now, I think. But he's he's a writer and thinker, and he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and he's written a couple of things lately that have caught my eye, but. Um, he's talking about how he grew up, and, and he was in a school with a lot of white kids, and they wanted to touch his afro because it was so different from their hair, and and he found it somewhat annoying. But then <clears throat> he, he went to this conference that he didn't know at the time, but it was essentially a three-day critical race theory and intersectionality workshop. Uh, he writes, it was there that I first heard terms like systemic racism, safe space, white privilege, internalized oppression, ideas that were fringe then in 2012, but would sweep through elite universities just a few years later. Um, and he talks about microaggression, and, uh, and then he says, at the conference, I was taught to frame my experience differently than he'd taken it in. It was a microaggression. Whereas bullying can be experienced by anyone, only members of marginalized groups can experience microaggressions. Uh, my Afro experience was placed on the same continuation as the violent, continuum, rather, as the violent racism I had learned about in history class. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get hung up on that because it's long, but somebody touching his Afro out of curiosity was on the same scale as the torture and killing of Emmett Till. It was just, you know, in a different point in that scale, but he should look at it as, as, as similar. Um. That was the ideology that I, along with hundreds of other students, absorbed at this three-day conference. Um, In some ways, it was suffocating. The teachers enforced a strict orthodoxy. Dissent was never welcomed and was therefore rarely even attempted. As a kid who enjoyed debating with professors, I couldn't help but notice and lament the stifling conformism. Uh, In the three years since I'd attended the conference, the ideas I encountered had spread to elite schools, and he describes that... um, During orientation week at Columbia, we were asked to divide ourselves up by race and discuss how we either participated in or suffered from systemic oppression. This is orientation week at Columbia. I huddled with the black kids in one corner of the room and watched as the white kids, Hispanic kids, and Asian kids awkwardly shuffled to their respective corners. Whatever the intent of this ice-breaking exercise, the effect was that I felt acutely aware of my blackness and that awareness ironically made me feel less connected to the people around me, not more. I was worried that rather than approach me as a blank slate, these students would approach me as a black man and by implication, a victim. And, and I wish we had time for this whole thing, but we'll post it at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, and it's entitled The Making of a Black uh, Conservative. And, and he talks about the, any guff he took as a kid, how it compared to the fat kid with acne who had a speech impediment. Or the kid who just wasn't socially adept and was mocked and and teased all the time. Mm. And it's it's written with great compassion and wisdom. And he summarizes, uh, all of this is why in my book I argue that colorblindness is the wisest principle by which to govern our fragile experiment in multi-ethnic democracy. My hope is that this book will help people think more clearly about the long-run consequences of race thinking and race-based policies, restore faith in guiding principles of colorblindness, and pave a constructive path forward in our national conversation on race.
0: Yeah, that's inter- That reminds me, so that Super Bowl ad yesterday, because we've talked a lot about uh, how Martin Luther King Jr., his whole thing was, I hope someday I'll be judged by the content of my character, not the color of my skin. And now people have decided, no, 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 that, that, no, you got to judge people. The, the color blindness is awful. That's the worst mm-hmm. thing you could do. And right. so I don't know if you saw this ad and I didn't know where it was going, but this guy came on and I don't remember his name, old black guy. And he said, I was Martin Luther King Jr.'s speechwriter. And together we, you know, turned this country around, blah, 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 and tried to stamp out uh, bigotry and prejudicial hate and that sort of stuff. And they threw in a little um, uh, anti-Islamophobia uh, is wrong and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, okay, where are we going with this? But then it was all about an anti-Jewish hate, anti-Jewish hate, anti-Jewish hate. And it was paid for by some sort of anti-Jewish hate thing. Mm-hmm. And so you got yeah. Martin Luther King Jr.'s speechwriter... Being part of a you can't be hating on the Jews, you can't be hating on anybody thing that I wanted to look into a little more because I thought that was interesting. They had to throw in a little other stuff too to uh, to avoid being, you know, killed in social media.
3: Yeah, I think because I've seen a handful of their ads and they always lean on the Islamophobia thing. I think they're trying to get buy in, which I understand is a strategy. It's a little jivey given the proportions of right. what you see right. much, much, much more right. of than the other. But, I'm, but I appreciate the spirit of it.
0: And it had some line at the end that was like the opposite of, you know, how you, you couldn't say during Black Lives Matter, all lives matter. Uh, but they, they went with the line, all hate is hate, which they are. I'm glad is OK to say apparently out loud. It's yeah, good time. It's, it's, it's similar to the all lives matter. But all lives do matter, and all hate is hate. Those two things are absolutely 100% true.
3: I want to get to uh, Ted, uh, not Ted, uh, Coleman Hughes' Ted Talk, what happened with that as the punchline to all of this, but we'll take a break first. and Okay, and
0: then complete silliness on why prop bets in the Super Bowl were outlawed in, in every state for the most part. I had no idea of this. <laughs> I didn't know that either. It's kind of funny why in some of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. bunch of stuff on the way.
1: Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... Actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe,
0: Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty.
1: Alt-rock
2: icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end.
1: And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.
0: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world.
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a fumble, and it's a recovery by Kansas City.
0: You knew something was happening there. You just just wasn't sure what it was. Astrodomis again. Oh, my gosh. What a huge, huge play right there. Yeah, I'd say. Probably made the difference in the game, and if you're watching, you know what it was. Oh, we're getting a bunch of texts, by the way. And I need to read this to be fair. The 49ers took the ball because the defense was exhausted after holding off Mahomes on the last drive of the game. They had to rest or they wouldn't have been able to play. And that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I appreciate you pointing that out. Thanks. So back to Coleman Hawk. I'm sorry. Coleman Hughes, uh, briefly, he's a young black intellectual. He's written a book called The End of Race Politics, Arguments for a Colorblind America that I need to get a copy of and read. But he had prepared a TED Talk about colorblindness, the topic of his forthcoming book, if you're a fan of the TED Talk. The talk's theme, as he explained recently in an uh, interview, is that colorblindness shouldn't be a dirty word, which it's become on the political left. And that's uh, the concept, quote, was at the core of the anti-slavery movement, the core of the civil rights movement, and was later abandoned. And Hughes believes, quote, we should reinvestigate the wisdom of it as a principle. The idea of colorblindness is that no one ever gets penalized for their racial identity. And there's a logic for that, for governing a racially diverse society in the long run. Okay, it's common sense. So anyway, he does a, a TED Talk. And if you know anything about TED Talks, they approve every word in your script. And you're not allowed to depart from your script. So anyway, the day after Mr. Hughes' talk, he received a call from uh, Anderson. Mr. Anderson, what's his his first name? Chris Anderson, the British entrepreneur behind the TED Talks. Uh, So he gets a call from Anderson who said that black employees at TED were upset by his remarks. Mr. Anderson asked Mr. Hughes to meet with them. Mr. Hughes agreed, but the employees backed out without an explanation. Two weeks later, Mr. Hughes received an email from Mr. Anderson explaining that he was under pressure to not post the talk online. The email cited an unnamed social scientist friend of Mr. Anderson who said Mr. Hughes' Hughes' arguments for colorblind policies was, quote, directly contradicted by an extensive body of rigorous research. Um, There's
0: a body of research saying... Colorblindness is wrong.
3: Wow. Oh, okay. sure. Yeah. Critical, critical theory. Oh, that reminds me. Did you see where Harvard's chief diversity officer has been accused of rampant plagiarism? Well, of course she has, because you're not allowed to dissent. The only thing you're allowed to do is repeat the quasi religious mantras of critical theory over and over again. They don't allow dissent. Like this TED Talk. They weren't... Well, anyway, I'll get to the the punchline. So Mr. Hughes was confused. I'm thinking, are they preparing the grounds to censor my talk using fact-checking as a pretense? The talk had passed TED's own fact-checking process. Every word, etc. And I didn't deviate from the script. Another week passed. The talk still hadn't been toasted. Uh, Posted Another email from Ted arrived, this one inviting Mr. Hughes to participate in a, quote, moderated conversation with an opponent of colorblindness, after which both his talk and the debate would be published online. Reluctantly, he agreed to this arrangement. His talk was posted on the Ted website on July 28th, and the debate uh, was posted two weeks later. Still, Mr. Hughes believed Ted didn't hold up its end of the bargain. Um, And it refused to do any of the publicizing of his talk that it does for all the other talks. And uh, a couple other people noticed it. Tim Urban, a blogger who's very smart, who has given one of the most popular TED Talks in history, noted that Mr. Hughes had received a fraction of the views it would have if TED had promoted it the way it promotes other talks. There have been a million talks about race at TED, Mr. Urban tweeted. For this talk and only for this talk was the speaker required to publicly debate his points after the talk is a condition for having it posted online as it is the lack of standard promotion by TED is uh, heard it's his talk. We don't need to go into those details, but the staggering refusal to listen to any dissent from the critical theory crowd, the intersectionality crowd, doesn't that arouse you? Doesn't that set off your alarm bells right away? That it's a cult and a it's a just it's an evil evil philosophy. So include TED talks on your list of people participating in this ugliness. God and I just thought, like most of us thought,
0: that the whole the goal is to ignore skin color was settled law, settled theory, settled science, whatever you want to
3: call it, just a settled proposition. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's not. Well, until the neo-Marxists decided any grievance is a grievance we can mobilize to tear down the system. If it's a grievance about the color of your skin, if it's a grievance about you think you're a girl, if it's a grievance uh, because you believe three people should be in a marriage, if it's a grievance because, you know, whatever, we can mobilize that. So that's why all of these weird, disparate people never criticize each other. What does a transgender polygamist have to do with a young black activist? Nothing.
0: The idea that you, you can fix racism with racism is so horrifying. And then clearly what you're going to do, trying to fix racism with racism, is lead to way more racism.
3: Yeah, you're just seizing power. Oh, They pretend like they have a moral argument or they're trying to talk with you to reach the truth. They're not. As James Lindsay puts it, for Marxists, dialogue is not a way of attaining truth. It's a forum for manipulation. Why you
0: can't bet on the length of the national anthem anymore.
1: Armstrong and Getty. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver.
2: See by the early line. What so proud we at the last
1: gleam? Who's
0: That's the Joker singing the national anthem before the Super Bowl yesterday. Oh, I'm, being, I'm being told that's Reba McIntyre and out not bounds. Bounds. and not Heath Ledger's Joker, which is what she looks like a... uh, that's enough of that. I thought it was horrible. And it was recorded. And I just didn't like it at all. And she looked freakish. I would not mock a 70-year-old woman's appearance if she hadn't gotten so much work done that she looks like she could be a villain in a Batman movie. Why Why do people do that to themselves?
3: More verbal abuse. Plus, she was just there to promote one of the singing shows yeah, on CBS.
0: I didn't dig that either. So yeah, she's a new judge on the Voice or whatever CBS has. So they chose her. Ah, come on, come on. Didn't dig that at
3: all. CBS is new. The Voice of my celebrity friend, who's a master chef, tonight <laughs> on right. CBS. While they flip a house. <laughs> Exactly. And <laughs> dangle at the end of a cord over the churning ocean to prove their stuff is on 80 sail. <laughs> and then
0: at the very end you have to propose to somebody. That's the way the whole thing works. Beautiful. Um so I I won't get into the ins and outs of this, it doesn't matter. It was a ridiculously long article in the New York Times about how most of the prop bets that we all laugh about and talk about every year have become illegal. And state by state, they started getting rid of them, and now they're illegal almost everywhere, and the big sports betting um, um, about websites have gotten rid of them also. You can still bet on everything overseas. That's one of the problems with any gambling laws is you don't change the number of people that can gamble that much by trying to rein it in. You just push the money overseas. So what do you accomplish? But anyway... Um, they had to do away with betting on the Star Spangled Banner and a whole bunch of other ones that are judgment calls. Either judgment calls were very easy to fix. Oh, right. They don't yeah. like. For instance, judgment calls on, for a while, For a while, there's a prop bet on will, um, uh, I forget who was singing that year, will, will she show cleavage? Well, then there was a big lawsuit over, that's not cleavage, that's just a normal woman's shirt. Well, it looks like cleavage to me. I mean, so y- y- all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you know, uh, there's all kinds of dumb examples, but the Super Bowl thing happened going back to Billy Joel's in national anthem 2007, in which he joked ahead of time because you could bet on the length of the Super Bowl national anthem then he was asked about that, and he said, well, I'm not going to comment because I might be betting myself. Then he sang the National Anthem in a minute 30, which still stands as the shortest National Anthem that has ever existed. Mm. <laughs> so it's quite possible, as a guy who likes to drink and gamble, that he, you know, bet the under <laughs> on whatever the number
3: was, and then... <laughs> if, if you didn't, you'd be a fool. <laughs>
0: and then cranked out the fastest National Anthem's ever been sung. There were also problems... Well, I'll just read from this. Um... The anthem, by the way, was their biggest non-game prop for by by far, hmm. uh, going for a long time. The biggest game on the annual sporting schedule has become the largest draw on the national gambling calendar. The most recent numbers are nearly 68 million adults across the country were projected to wager yesterday a combined total of 23 billion dollars. Wow, That's a lot by anybody's standards. Upticks of 35% and 45% respectively from last year. So it's really growing as everybody figures out how easy it is to do. And I'm guessing all those ads for DraftKings that we and everybody else has done and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, it's finally reached everybody. If you have the slightest interest in gambling, you know how to do it. Um, there's never been an instance of known insider singing which is what they would call cheating on the national anthem. <laughs> no anthem performer busting for betting on their own literal lines, but scandals have arisen. One was in 2011 when Christina Aguilera not only botched part of the lyrics, I'd forgotten that she sang, What so proudly we watched at the Twilight's last... <laughs> what so proudly we watched at the Twilight's last reaming,
3: she said, Oh! <laughs> i like to apologize to the Twilight. <laughs>
0: How do you accidentally sing The Twilight's Last (laughs) Reming?
3: Oh, boy. Anywho.
0: But she also went rogue by adding a woo after the home of the brave, boosting her time by a full second and becoming a point of controversy, which people could sue over if they weren't considered a winner. A few years ago, we had this. Until they say the end of the word brave for the first time. Was the rule that they put in place for a while because somebody's saying brave, brave, brave. You, you, you cut it off right the first brave. Now we say first word spoken to last note just to try to keep it simpler on any of the prop bets. But this, you can get to why they, they made it illegal or whatever. It became yeah, more of yeah, an that, that. one's no good. DraftKings yeah. and whatever the other big one is, um, That that's why they quit doing it, quit taking bets on it because there's too many lawsuits, complaints, that sort of stuff. Is it from the you know the the fifteen seconds of the piano playing dum da da dum 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 da da dum da dot or the first singing or or what so people would get into it? And twenty twenty one a video of the rehearsal of Eric Church and Jasmine Sullivan's Super Bowl anthem, which was really a good one. I remember that that was cool. Someone was outside the stadium recorded it, tweeted it. Then every Twitter guy in the world was saying bet. So we saw a bunch in our own. We closed blah blah blah. That wasn't ideal for us, says this person at this big betting organization. It leaked out, and it ruined the betting. Um, to set the lines, Burns requires a little more effort than his 17 years of industry experience and in laptop access. My research is literally just sitting there watching, but in contrast to the coin toss or the Gatorade color, the anthem results can, not unlike the sports themselves, swing widely on the whims of real-time human performance. You never know. Maybe they'll drag out the word. Maybe they won't. And then they got to try to figure out how that counts. Uh, there's one more thing I want to put in. Oh, uh, betting on the if Reba's boots are equally red, white, and blue, um, what would like? What you could bet on what Reba's boot color was going to be. Well, what if they were three different colors? Is it the main color, etc.? So that's why <laughs> wow. all of these primary bi- uh, the, these prop bets for the most part have gone away. Finally, they, we can't have good things. We can't have fun
3: because all y'all ruin it. Wonder yeah, what I guess, doing. although the boot thing, that's legitimate. I mean, she comes out in multicolored boots. What do you do?
0: Well, how about the cleavage thing? That, that's a tough one, too. Did they show cleavage or not? That's not cleavage. That's just a regular woman wearing a shirt. It's not the way my mom would wear a shirt. She would button it clear to the top.
3: <laughs> wow, wow. FBI, female <laughs> breast inspector. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I uh, why don't we it's... just stick to the stuff that's measurable and, and reasonable? You actually bet Objective. on the coin toss which is literally a 50/50 proposition. I did. I was invited to and I said, "Okay, you're on." And it was tail was it tails again
0: at the beginning of the game?
3: Ah, uh, no, it was it's heads.
0: heads at the beginning of yeah. Okay, cuz it's been yeah. tails like 80% of the time, which defies That's why I bet
3: heads. Yeah, cuz uh, heads is overdue. That's not the way Folks, it works. Math doesn't <laughs> work like that. <right. laughs>
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, I had one more thing to say about that. What was that? Did I you? Did it out, you really? It I'm head. betting
3: 100 did bucks. Jack does not have another thing the to say.
0: Super Bowl the betting, the national anthem. Reba McIntyre. They did like Fledger. they did three songs. They had the black national anthem. That what is that called? Lift every spirit, lift every
3: voice and sing. Yeah, yeah the, it's so not had- the black national, but it is. I don't know. It's terrible. But they feel it's obligated. A lovely song, but come on.
0: But it used to just be the national anthem. So you have that. Then you had Post Malone come out and sing "America the Beautiful," which was uh, which is fine. I like that song. And you had a 49ers player on the sideline crying, and I thought that was cool. But um, uh, 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 my kids and I got into a conversation of what Post Malone's face will look like when he's an elderly man. And I just don't think those tats are going to play well when you're uh, like 50 plus. That's an interesting uh, uh- look to go with.
3: Uh, Yeah, just as he was singing, I walked up to Judy at the Super Bowl party we were at, and I said, hey, honey, I know what I want for my birthday. And she said, what? I said, face tats. I pointed at the screen. She says, I'm leaving you. Wow. And and
0: not not just face tats, but all kinds of weird, squiggly, like, drawn by a prisoner, and then the earplugs and the grill. That seems like an awful lot of gimmicks in one head. How many do you need? Right. Per head. Right.
3: Yeah, I don't get it. Hmm.
0: Is he a, what kind of artist is he? I don't even know. My son's really into him. Oh, we saw Post Malone's car at uh, West Coast Customs. My son and I did on Saturday. We took the VIP tour of West Coast Customs where all the rich rappers and basketball players and everybody, they all get their cars done in Los Angeles. And Post Malone had a 79 Ford Explorer that he had uh, paid a gazillion dollars to get remade. It was very, Mm -hmm. very, very cool.
3: Yeah, I don't uh, I don't follow the pop music these days. I've had enough. I don't need it. It's fine if you enjoy it, but I'm not familiar with his over. Uh, I can only assume that there was a pre-Malone and then a Malone, and now he's the third one. Is that correct? <laughs> I think that's the way it works. I don't know how that works. Did somebody drive
0: Patrick Mahomes' dad home after the Super Bowl? Did he get home all right? Is everybody... Certainly hope so. not crash his car anybody? We will finish strong next.
1: Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: McKinnon is in it, running back. First down and goal to go. Play action fake. Right side throw, touchdown! Kansas City, McCall Hardman, McCall
3: Hardman with the catch on the right side. A three-yard touchdown pass in overtime. Kansas City wins the game, 25-22. Hey, McCole Hardman, you scored it, the Super Bowl-winning touchdown, man. Yeah. What does that feel like? Man, it feels great. I'm telling you, I blacked out when I caught the ball, though. So, um, But it feels awesome.
0: I would like to hear that uh, dug into a little more, and I'm sure will happen on some sports station today because that was up on the stand when they were giving out the trophy, so that wasn't the time. But that's an interesting phenomenon. He blacked out when he caught the ball. If, if he's being literal about that so just such a giant um uh nerve-wracking moment wow
3: uh, yeah i'd like to ask him what do you mean <laughs> i could believe <laughs> before it. i assume too much i could believe it i it's interesting to me that
0: because uh, of course i get nervous i'm i i, I got nervous in the most casual of softball games as a fifth grader if a fly ball was coming my way i'd get so nervous i couldn't catch it so but i'm always i'm always just kind of surprised to hear that these professional athletes at their level the best of the best also get so nervous that they have trouble breathing or thinking straight
3: yeah yeah
0: and it's still about controlling your nerves even at that level but mm-hmm. you know I guess the really best ones are able to block that out of their mind. They like the very very elitist of elite. But so that guy's got the ball coming his way and in his way he's thinking this, if you catch this, we win the Super Bowl and you're the star.
3: <laughs> well, I think if he if he was able to think that with the ball in the air, he would have dropped it 10 times out of 10 you you try to keep it in your uh your unconscious mind what you're doing.
0: Well, I don't know. I'd like to I would like to hear him explain that cuz he blacked out when when they, the ball hit him. Wow.
3: Hershey- what do you think he meant? Uh, Like he couldn't see or hear anything and was unconscious or what? So I—that's why I said I'd have to ask him. What do you mean? That's what I was. It just—it was so overwhelming. He didn't know what to do or where to look or couldn't think.
0: I don't know. I'll have to seek out. I'm sure he's going to have to tell somebody on some radio interview somewhere what that meant. Yeah. I was just interested when I was like a wrestling in high
3: school. Um. You'd have a loud crowd. and Thank you, Gladys. You'd have a loud crowd. Interestingly, Jack wasn't on the wrestling team. He would just strip to the waist and challenge guys in the parking lot. But back to you.
0: There'd be a crowd there and lots of noise and everything like that. But when you're out there wrestling, it was silent. I couldn't hear anything. And then the second was over, all the sound would show up. Mm -hmm. That was just always interesting to me. That's some sort of your brain doing that for you? I don't know. Focus? Or... Fear. Yeah, I'll
3: bet the young man meant something like that. Right, 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 right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe he wasn't thinking about it, and the, once the ball got there and he caught it, maybe then his brain went into full, holy crap, the game's over. You caught the ball and just like, I don't know, more than his brain could f- process at one moment. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Niners lost.
0: I would be thinking, see, I would be thinking, and this is why I was such a terrible athlete, is more about the mental stuff than anything else. Um, As the ball was coming my way, I think if you drop this easy catch at this moment with everybody watching, you will become a household name. You'll become a meme. Your name will be used (laughs) to signify all failures going forward in business or in any other manner. We need to work on your attitude. I would be thinking people a hundred years from now will be saying, "Well, wow, you really pulled a Jack Armstrong. Like if you lost a deal at uh, the insurance company or something." That's what I'd mm-hmm. be thinking as the ball was coming toward me, and that's why I would drop it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, uh, in in your defense, fielding a fly ball can also like hit you in the face and break your nose. So there's that. Oh, I was
0: never worried about that ever at all. Mm. Never crossed my mind. Yeah. It was all about the shame and embarrassment.
3: Well, that's what repetition's all about. That's what practice is all about. So you oh, don't think anything; you just execute. Yeah. Oh, see, can you see? Final thoughts with H&G? Huh? That's
0: not that disrespectful. Like Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty.
3: Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to wrap things up for the day. The final play, if you will. Michelangelo in the control room will lead us off. Michael? I feel so old today. I'm tired. of full of cheese dip and meatballs, and I can't handle it anymore. Yeah, it's known
0: science. Cheese dip. Cheese will uh, age you by 10 years.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I used to be able to eat Katie? anything. Yes? Oh, well, I, just, I can't oh, do yeah. it anymore. Tell me about it. Uh, Katie Green has a final thought for us. Katie? I felt for the Niners fans yesterday, but there was some odd amusement in me watching the guys just throw fits. Just
0: absolute grown man hissy fits hmm. over the, the Niners loss.
3: Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It's not a sort of thing you want captured and put on YouTube, for instance. Uh, Jack, do you have a final thought for us?
0: I wish I'd a rolled tape on my son when the Chiefs won. Man, he was jumping on the couch and dancing around and doing the gritty and everything. It was pretty entertaining. Uh, by the way, I've never brought more hate upon myself than I have by criticizing Reba McIntyre, apparently. Seems like a perfectly nice woman.
3: Bad-mouthing elderly women is normally very popular on the air. I'm surprised by that. My final thought, other than that your son and I can no longer be friends, is, uh, well, I'm glad I don't take this stuff nearly as seriously as I used to. Moved on. Real life. Hello. Or you've
0: lost uh, the ability to the wonder of, uh, I don't know, entertainment.
3: Uh, Yeah, or I'm suppressing my anger and it'll eat away at me until I die prematurely. I mean, that's possible. Could
0: be that. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday.
3: So many people have thanks so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We've posted that brilliant essay, or we will in a few minutes, by Coleman Hughes. You can drop us a line. Actually, hot links is all sorts of stuff that we talked about and some we didn't get to. Drop us a line. Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. We will see
0: you tomorrow. God bless America.
4: Armstrong and Getty. Um, you know, they took their shot, but...
1: Move on. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Again. Fair enough.
4: What do we want to be? Losers?
0: We're winners. Baby, we win. We smell like winning around here. That's not what I smell like.
1: Oh, yeah,
3: round tables with people sitting around them. Raise the roof for the tables. I just noticed more celebrities. Let's hear it for the celebrities I didn't notice the first time.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
3: Oh, God, I'm out. On that high note, thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty.
1: Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance
4: Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Mfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6,000 American
1: Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.
2: I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington.